so quiet, perfect night for a walk, no problems at all. Wait a minute, is that the Batman logo? Oh, now it's turning into the Superman logo? Okay, well, call those guys. I'm off tonight. Okay, wait a minute. Now it's turning into a guitar. Oh, boy. Well, you know what? Maybe maybe they won't see me. Maybe they won't call. In a world entrenched in darkness, desperately seeking hope and security, a coalition of nations invoke a highly classified program, commissioned by their ancestors generations ago, for such a time when all else has failed. They called for but one man to light the flame, to carry the torch, which is really a guitar, ready to blast the battle cry. Behold, the time has come for... Rock and Roll! I knew it. I just knew it. I was thinking about this just last night. What did Max Weinberg think when his son was joining Slipknot? I mean, you know, they're both drummers, so in that sense, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Yes, cliche, I know. But then he's joining one of the biggest metal bands in the world after at times filling in for the uh, for his dad and the E Street Band. It's crazy stuff. So there's an interview out here with the uh, Slipknot fan site apparently and it, it, they talked to Jay Weinberg about all of this and so I see this so, you know I'm, I'm perusing through the heavy metal news uh, you know first doing CNN and Fox and you know the regular news digest for the day and then I get the music news digest and I look through everything and I saw this and I said okay yes we are leading off with this this is the story so uh, Slipknot's Jay Weinberg this is in um, this is from the uh, outside the nine um, official Slipknot fan club, and uh, the link was on uh, Blabbermouth. So, uh, Slipknot's Jay Weinberg recalls telling his dad he was joining the band. I think he flipped his SH two other letters. Well, you know, ending in T, you get the point. <laughs> uh, so, so here we go. Slipknot drummer Jay Weinberg discovered the band when he was a preteen through his father Max of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band and leader of the house band on Conan O'Brien's talk show. Now, I did not know this. I did not know that somehow Jay was introduced to Slipknot essentially by his dad, which is what he says here. So he, Jay, was hooked immediately and was a huge, was a huge fan of Slipknot by the time he was invited to try out in Los Angeles as the replacement for Joey Jordison in 2013. So they set this up really nicely, and this is just, whoa, okay? I'm like, because I, you know, I was wondering about all of this. I know you were too, right? The mask was lifted, so, shall we say. Okay, that's a terrible cliche, whatever. Um, go with it, folks. Just go with it, okay? It's the middle of the week. You know, it's a shortened week because we had the holiday weekend, but we're going to get through it together. And by the way, welcome to Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin. I know you heard it in the intro. And that strange guy singing the intro, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, but we're going to get through this together, and and uh, welcome to the show, and and we continue on. Asked what his father's initial reaction was when he told him that he was joining Slipknot, the now 28-year-old drummer told the official Slipknot fan club outside the nine, quote, "I don't know if he believed me to be honest. No, when we had conversations about that, that's what had happened. I actually couldn't even tell him." 
what band I auditioned for truthfully because for a while uh, till I asked the band if I could tell my dad but once I did he was very happy considering this is a band that he introduced to my life I'm sure I would have crossed the path of Slipknot's music at some point but he really made that initial connection between myself and the members of the band and I was still and I imagine if you click the video of the interview uh, you can go do it yourself but we'll find out more about how that meeting happened um Jay continues here, so for him to have done that for me and did me that solid of introducing me to these guys at 9 of 10 years old and then 13, 14 years later I joined the band, he was overwhelmed and overjoyed, I'm sure. It's something we still talk about to this day when certain benchmarks are met or certain interesting things are happening like playing on late night TV where I grew up watching him work and stuff like that, talking about his dad on Conan and now we're on a late night TV program it's very interesting. So yeah, when I first told him I was joining Slipknot, I think he flipped his SH, you know, the word. So <laughs> so it's really, I mean, it's just a fascinating thing because I, you know, you wonder about, um, it's not unusual for musicians to follow in the, the footsteps of their parents. It's, you know, Phil Collins, his son plays drums and played with him on the last um, tour or couple of tours that Phil Collins did, especially because Phil can't play drums anymore with uh, the back injury and some a wrist or hand injury that he's, he's suffered as well. Um, his son looks like him, a younger version of him, and plays just just like he does. So that makes sense. I mean, it's, you know, they, they flow together or the family connection between, um, you know, uh, you know, Clarence Clemens' uh, relative who's in the band now, you know, versus, um, you know, when Clarence Clemens was in the E Street Band, you know, you get, I mean, you get the family connection and how it's it's passed down. Um, but uh, let me double check, I think that's his nephew, hang on. Uh, I think, was it, uh, Jake Clemens, um, Jake Clemens, the nephew of uh, Clarence Clemens' uh, uh Yeah, so, um, yeah, the nephew who's, who replaced him in the band. I, somebody said his son. I said, I, I don't think it's his son. I knew it, I knew it was his nephew, but I never really, I, that change sort of happened really quick, and I, I remember when it happened, but I, I then kind of drifted into, I think, another group at the time. You get the, the idea. Too much rock news. Sometimes you're like, I got to refresh my memory, of course. So um, there was a family connection there, but the sound never changed, right? Um, not that a musician has to have the same sound as that. I mean, Cher's son is the lead singer of um, of the group Dead Sea, you know, uh, and that's a total, totally different sound. Dead Sea has a totally different sound. That they had that big one, uh, Key to Gramercy Park, and then uh, they had they had a couple big hits in like the early two thousands, you know. But he doesn't, he's not into the same music of his mother um, at all, you know. Uh, so it's completely different. You know, there's there's different. I mean, you know, you, you we wonder we wonder about those kind of connections. Um, some other examples. Well, Tony Tony Iommi's daughter was in a band with um, the uh, Lunar Mile, which was um, it also featured Ian Hill of Judas Priest. It featured his son as well. So, you know, that was still a bit of a hard rock metal band. So that made sense. But you know, but it's totally different when you're the son of of a, a drummer of you know the greatest house band in America, right? And then all of a sudden you go into Slipknot. It's it's just a, it's a wacky wild thing. It's cool, but it's just, you know I'm not in no way am I criticizing it. I think it's really cool, but um, 
You know, it's, it's certainly a conversation piece in, in the world of rock and roll, I think, and in, in the fandom too. I mean, it's, you know, cause these things don't just usually happen like that, you know. Um, I've always wondered what would happen if, uh, I think it's Evan Stanley, who's Paul Stanley's son, if, you know, there's a video, there's a cool video out there on YouTube of um, the guys in Kiss, they're, they're rehearsing, they're not in makeup, and Evan Stanley is playing, I think it's Evan's playing along with Paul Stanley, his dad. And um, this, he, this is probably 10 years old now or so. Uh, so you always wonder, you know, would he do something and kind of mirror his dad's musical, you know, taste? Jacob Dylan, uh, The Wallflowers. You can hear, certainly there's a physical similarity somewhat, you know, his, Bob, his dad, Bob Dylan, of course. But, you know, Jacob Dylan kind of has a little bit of that influence musically, it seems like. A little bit, a little bit, but more pop commercially, right? The, the one headlight song and, you know, they had a, a, a couple big ones. Uh, the Wallflowers had a couple big ones um, in the 90s, as it were. But, uh, and even though, you know, Jacob Dylan said recently that, that he, he really wasn't close to his dad. I mean, they, they got uh, words to the effect of uh, they got closer, I think, in recent years or later years. But they weren't particularly uh, close but you know to you still hear some of those musical I don't know how much I, I don't you know there's got to be scientific research that would show whether musical heritage is hereditary I don't know my dad loved uh, he passed away when I was young but he loved the you know he loved the Genesis and Phil Collins solo and police and you know uh, sting solo and all that stuff just like I did I kind of grew up listening to that um, although I don't think he, he never necessarily sat me down to play it. I just sort of grew up listening to it. Uh, and then next thing I know, you know, as I get older and some years after he uh, sadly passed on, I'm listening to it. And, you know, in many ways, I'm just like him. But then again, in many ways, you know, I'm listening to Tool. I'm listening to, um, I don't think he, he got into Van Halen, you know, and I kind of, that was probably the first band I discovered myself. Definitely the first band I discovered myself. I don't know that he was a Kiss fan or that he was into, you know, like I look at his old vinyl collection. There's some Fleetwood Mac in there. There's some Phil Collins in there. There's some uh, Sly and the Family Stone. I dig all of that, you know. Um, more so the first two. Um, but always a busy day in uh, Philadelphia. Some fire trucks rolling by here. Uh, so hopefully everybody's okay. But it's it's an interesting thing, you know, to go, kind of have that influence in the beginning and then go way off to, you know, Metallica and, and Queensryche and, you know, and Symphony X and, and all the prog stuff that I really got into that I don't think my dad ever, I mean, I, I don't think he liked me. My mom doesn't seem to... to, to has never said that he liked that hard and really heavy stuff, but it's, it's, you know, there was a starting point, I guess you can say. And then I, I guess I took the ball and ran with it into another dimension. I don't know. <laughs> I always kind of crack myself over, uh, you know, over that when I think about it, because, you know, time goes by and, and um, it's like, oh, I like this. Oh, I like this. I like this. Wow, this is really heavy. This is, this is really heavy, you know. But I, I, I still don't, I mean, I can't get into the really dark and like the merciful fate or, um, you know, what's what's that other, uh, you know, Rammstein. I, I really can't get into that. Like, it, I have to have melody. You know, no disrespect to the, any of those groups, but I have to have, for me personally, you know, I just have to have melody in what I'm listening to. You know, it's just it's just something I need. But anyway, I was just, I, I saw that and I said, this is, this is really, you know, it's really interesting stuff. So I had to kind of just, um, you know, get that out there and, 
and check that out and, and you know, just uh, point it out and say, okay, this is really cool and wild and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So anyway, onward to our main uh, topic. Uh, well, a little bit of uh, some news bits in there and then part one of looking at the modern day supergroups. You are tuned into the right rock and roll place. I was going to say rock and roll station. It's not a station, but we still celebrate the spirit of radio on podcasts. Yes, indeed, do. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for checking out this program. If you want to know more about this show or your host, you can check out DaveKinchin.com for all of the information. Also, find us on social media, Dave Kinchin USA, on Twitter, on Facebook, Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin. And for the Dave Kinchin Tonight public affairs program, just search Dave Kinchin Tonight on Facebook. Oh, yeah. You must do yourself a solid and check out, check out Dead Daisies and the new song Righteous Days with Glenn Hughes on vocals there as he takes over for uh, the uh, the lead singer spot for uh, John Karabi, uh, who left the band to work on some other um, projects there. We talked about that on the show last time, of course, uh, John Karabi, the once uh, frontman of um, Motley Crue and, and uh, some other works that he's done there. And um, Glenn Hughes, who's been with you know everybody from Black Sabbath to Deep Purple and and some great solo stuff Trapeze I'm a big fan of his voice nobody sounds like Glenn Hughes so you've got to listen to Righteous Days I was just checking up the track it's heavy Glenn Hughes is one of those singers by the way who still has it here's a guy what in his 60s it's got to be in his at least mid 60s and he can still he's the voice is still there I mean it is virtually unaged and a lot of times when when singers like Sammy Hagar for example others um, Ronnie James Dio up until obviously he passed away the aging of their voice makes it richer makes it a little deeper but it works and they still have the integrity of the sound and, and everything else they can still carry the catalog maybe they tune down a little bit come down a half a step a little bit but they still have it and it's it's just remarkable stuff so uh, Dead Daisies, now they, they form, we're talking about supergroups, by the way, and some of the modern day groups that often form and work as like a musical collective in, in some ways. You know, it's, it's like there's influences of other obvious bands, and they can take those influences into something else. And I think, I don't think there's as much pressure to, you know, they come up with a new name and a new idea. Musically, the ideas are very similar to the influences and from the bands where these guys came from. But it would seem that maybe there's less pressure to have a supergroup and record and produce something that it will have a special legion of fans. It'll be something very special. Um, there's the potential of attracting fans from all those other groups, so that makes sense perhaps from a business standpoint. But in the modern age of, of music, you know, you can step away from your main moneymaker project and, and do something that's different and maybe more fun and maybe in, you know, I'm wondering, maybe it feels less of a business venture for these musicians who, I think most musicians are really comfortable being more musicians than embracing the, you know, certainly they embrace the financial aspect of it, but they, you know, it, it's it's not an easy road. And I think many musicians are more comfortable embracing the creativity side of what they do, which is everything that they do. And they'd leave the management stuff and, and everything else, the business pressure up to the business people. 
no doubt they feel that pressure, but I wonder if they feel it maybe a little bit less in a super group, you know, because you, you have a little more freedom to do what you're doing. And, you know, if the group takes off and becomes huge, great. If it doesn't, you know, everybody else has their own projects that they can go back to and their main, their sort of main way of earning their bread. So Dead Daisies formed um, in uh, John Stevens. John Stevens worked a little bit with... Um, within excess right after Michael Hutchins had died. Um, he didn't really do any major recordings that I recall, but he did do, I think he filled in on, on a tour. They had a bunch of people, Terrence Trent Darby, who goes by another name now. They had kind of a revolving door of singers. Um, so John Stevens and, and um, another uh, musician, they formed uh, Dead Daisies in 2013. Uh, the band uh, worked on their their first uh, record uh, at Wishbone Studios in LA back in 2013. Um, they had uh, a couple of tracks, Lock, um, Lock and Load. It was the first single. Apparently, it looks like Slash co-wrote that track um, and made some guitar contributions um, to it as well. Uh, he played guitar on the track. Uh, it's written here. Um, the band opened for ZZ Top. Uh, they joined Aerosmith. It makes sense for them to open up and join all these groups that they grew up, or, you know, that, that kind of matched the genre of what they were um, working on, you know. So past members of the band, John Stevens is out of the group. Um, Frank, uh, the drummer from uh, Guns N' Roses now, he's out of the group. Um, Daryl Jones is, is out. Uh, Dizzy Reed from Guns N' Roses. Uh and Richard Fortas uh, also out. Uh, John Karabi recently left, so Glenn Hughes has replaced him. Doug Ulrich, uh, Aldrich from, rather, uh, from Whitesnake. Uh, by the way, did I ever tell you that story? Um, there was this, uh, Dee Snyder said there was a billboard, I think it was in Las Vegas, a billboard that, that had Doug Doug's picture on it, and it said, um, you know, uh, Doug Aldrich from Whitesnake, you know, and, and he said, wait a minute, no, nobody's going to know that he played in Whitesnake. He played in the later Whitesnake, but not the classic Whitesnake, you know, so it was, I always think about that, but Doug also played with Dio, and uh, he's a master of the Les Paul, and just has that real look and spirit of a rock star, too, chiseled, blonde hair, I mean, he's, you know, uh, he probably, he probably would have been picked to replace K.K. Downing if it wasn't Richie Faulkner, I'm guessing, <laughs> you know, because the look was so similar, minus the Les Paul usage, which Richie is a fan of the Les Paul, too, um, and K.K. never really used it. So anyway, who knows? Maybe Doug could have been uh, the next player in Priest. And uh, Glenn Hughes as well. Uh, Dean Castronovo from, from Journey and Bad English in the group, too. So they've had... Um, so in this project, there's, there's been a bunch of people... Uh, uh, Charlie Drayton from the Cult, um, and uh, let's see, you also have. Um, hmm, that's, I guess those are the big names, really. Yeah, those are those are really the the big names. But but very cool, very heavy stuff. Um, another one that I'm really into. I was just uh, listening to the Black Star Riders, and they had a song uh, that came out. Uh, let me see when this came out. Um, this was four years ago on, uh, on Nuclear Blast Records, uh, The Killer Instinct. And this is very straight, straight Thin Lizzy. Twin guitar leads in there, very Thin Lizzy, Wishbone Ash-like. Um, and there's a major connection to that band, obviously, uh, and Thin Lizzy. Um, I mean, the singer sounded just like Phil from Thin Lizzy, too. So it, there's there a lot of major influences. Ricky Warwick... Um, 
is the singer of the Black Star Riders, a band that formed in 2012. I actually saw him, he did a solo, t well, he was, um, when Def Leppard did their album X in 2003, uh, he, I saw that tour, I think 2002, 2003, saw them in Grand Rapids, and Ricky Warwick was a, a, an acoustic uh, performer, and did, he, he was the opening act, and he just did an acoustic set, which was really good. And I said, we're going to hear some things from him. And so he's uh, now with the Black Star Riders. Sounds a bit different, but the band, of, of course, features Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy. So there is a, a connection there, uh, a celebration of Thin Lizzy music. They're also associated with um, Alice Cooper. Um, this is a group uh, that had uh, uh, Marco Mendoza was also in the group. He's played with pretty much everybody, Marco, uh, with John Sykes and uh, Whitesnake and Ted Nugent's band and uh, Blue Murder, of course. Um, very accomplished musician. Jimmy DeGrasso, uh, who's played with everybody, obviously Megadeth, Lita Ford, uh, Alice Cooper, David Lee Roth, F5, which is um, David Ellison's, it was his side project away from, uh, from Megadeth. And um, those were some of the big names. So, it was essentially, um, it began when most of the, the uh, recent members of Thin Lizzy, by the way, Thin Lizzy was more of a revolving door kind of band. I mean, Tom Hamilton, when, when Steven Tyler, around the time Steven Tyler was doing his country thing and you know, took a break from Aerosmith, that's when the Hollywood Vamps kind of started up around that time, as I recall, um, Joe Perry teaming up with, with uh, 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 Alice Cooper and uh, um, the great uh, actor, um, Johnny Depp, and so that happened, and then Tom Hamilton ended up in Thin Lizzy, playing in Thin Lizzy, so Thin Lizzy at that time, and, and for many years since, has been a revolving door kind of collective group, although they still play the same kind of stuff, um, you know, the, the Thin Lizzy songs. They mix in, I think, some covers too. Um, so they ultimately said, we're not gonna release, we're gonna, um, put some stuff together, but we're not going to do it under the Thin Lizzy name, but there's still a very much Thin Lizzy kind of sound, which is, you know, some people have said, this is what the ex-members of Thin Lizzy should have done, step away from Thin Lizzy and do something else. Apparently, Thin Lizzy continued with the blessing of Phil's family, is, is what I've read, um, and it's what I would have hoped, you know, um, but it's also nice that they do something kind of stepping outside of it, so they, um, they put this group together, actually dates back to, um, the origins date back to 2010 or so um, that they were going to do it. And uh, Brian Downey, uh, the original uh, drummer, had come back. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at the credits here. Uh, hang on. Actually, I think I misread that part. Uh, so we'll go from a link. And yes, it's Wikipedia, but there is a citation here that supports it. In May 2010th, and Lizzie lead guitarist Scott Gorham announced the latest incarnation of the group. Uh, okay, so he's talking about Thin Lizzy, which, uh, which had toured sporadically with various lineups since 1996 after the death of band leader uh, Phil in 1986. Um, so it marked the return of original drummer Brian Downey and longtime keyboard player Darren Wharton joining Gorham, uh, Marco Mendoza. So we all know this. And then, of course, Ricky Warwick, the original vocalist. Um, Vivian Campbell, as you may recall, was in the band for a little while. Um, so eventually they moved on and they said new material will come out under the name um not under the name thin lizzie but what became um this you know where they essentially are now and uh you know gorham said that uh thin lizzie will still perform as uh, a band in the future thin lizzie isn't going to die uh 
you know, even though there was that publicized farewell tour in 2012. And as we know, they didn't die. Tom Hamilton had played with the group since then, as we just talked about. So it's, you know, it, it, it's it's great stuff. So I I like the Black Star Riders. I think it's a cool name. I think their, their logo is really awesome. And, and, and by the way, these are all legit reasons to like a band. If a band has a crappy logo, that that takes you know people may not even look at them i mean i hate to say it but logos matter i mean we'll do a whole show we i've been planning a whole show on classic rock logos and they are important don't get me wrong they're very important it's the image you see it's it's the logo that markets the product depends depending on how bad how big the band is logos can be a cultural revolution i mean the rolling stones logo is is iconic the beatles lettering is is iconic and legendary um rolling stone tongue i'm talking about all of those are, you know, the Misfits logo. You may not know who the Misfits are, but you know that that creepy face, you know. The Kiss logo, all of these things are very, you know, very important to a band. Don't, don't, you know, if, if you hear somebody say, oh, I like them because I like their logo and I like their, you know, and, and I, I like the look, you know, and it's not about the music. Of course it's about the music. I just started talking about these guys with the twin guitar leads and the very Thin Lizzy-esque sound, which I like. And whether Ricky's doing that on purpose or not, I don't know, because like I said, he sounded different when I saw him uh, with Def Leppard years ago. But, you know, this, of course the sound is important, but don't don't count somebody out just because they say, well, I like the logo and I like the, the look and, you know, he plays my favorite guitar. All of that, if it matters to you, it's a legitimate reason to like a band. And so, excuse me, so you cannot trivialize any of that at all. Uh, little tea there so pardon me <laughs> folks anyway uh so this is part one it is part one of the showcase and uh of looking at great supergroups of the modern day supergroups we're going to get into um the circle with sammy hagar talk a little bit about the dynamics there uh we're going to talk about essentially the dio disciples which was a continuation of dio in a way we're going to talk about all of that stuff we're going to talk about last in line and um you know so much more so that'll be towards the end of the week we hope you have a great weekend my friends and enjoy all of the good things to come and there are many many good things to come By the way, a whole new set of interviews coming up. We're scheduling them. You've been waiting patiently, so I really appreciate that. Just handling all of the particulars. So a new round of rock and roll interviews coming your way. In the meantime, you can always check out our classic recent interviews. Well, I, I say they're classic. You know, the, the interviews I did with Paul Stanley that we ran on the program and uh, David Coverdale. You know, just go back into the catalog and search. You know, you'll have to do a little diving down a little bit, or you can always uh, search it online. Google uh, Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin and Paul Stanley. And, and that should come up, but it's uh, towards further down uh, in the massive catalog that we have, uh, the Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin Anthology. Don't you like the sound of that? Anyway, new interviews coming up shortly, so uh, we can't wait to share that with you. We will have dates and um, not times because it's a podcast. You can get it whenever once we get it to you, and we know you will love it. <laughs>